So I mentioned that I am uh, driving home in the evenings. I just I just live over the hill, which is really nice. And so I drive in in the mornings. And this morning, um, it's beautiful, beautiful morning. The sun was shining. The sky was so clear and blue and I had a beautiful sight as I was, I was just pulling into the driveway where I saw one of our turkey vultures. The turkey vultures are those really big black birds that you know, have a huge wingspan that you see in the, in the sky. And this turkey vulture was uh, just on the ground with uh, their wings just spread out like this, not moving just like that in the sun, with the sun just bearing down on, the, on its body. And it was just so still, getting this, the warmth of the sun and the rays of the sun. And it was just such a beautiful, beautiful sight you know, to see that, that huge wingspan. And you're just drying out after all the days of, of wet and rain. And, you know, it's the animals too, the creatures too, you know, been... Out, out there and just getting, you know, really wet, not having much sunshine. It was just so beautiful to see that bird just drying out and letting the body absorb the warmth. And then as I just drove in a little bit more, I, there was a yogi. One of you were just standing there right in the, in the driveway doing the same thing. You know, just so... <laughs> So still, you know, just looking up and you know, arms like this and just absorbing all that warmth and then driving a little bit more yogi on the on the bench by the kiosk as you drive in and <laughs> absorbing the warmth. And it was just like one after the next, you know, just as I all, I went all the way up to the, 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 the meditation hall. And it was such a beautiful, uh, beautiful experience to... Uh, witness that um, just that you know taking in the warmth, taking in the sunshine, and letting the body relax and absorb that warmth. You know, and we have these bodies, right? We've come into this human form. We have bodies. Uh, we have a mind. Minds and bodies that we're attending to, and we have consciousness. Now, this capacity to know our mind and to know our body. The Buddha says this is what makes a person. It says it in one of the texts. This makes a person a mind, a body, and consciousness. Right, and so so we attend to this form, this human form, this human experience. And yet really what we're looking at, what we're examining in some, in some depth is, well, yes, this is what makes a person, but what is a person really? <laughs> Am I my mind? Am I my body? Am I my consciousness? So what makes up this person? And this is really what we're, what we're looking into here on this retreat. Um, because the teachings, the Dharma teachings, the Buddhist teachings, are really about shifting our perception, shifting our perception so that we're seeing in a different way. Right? Or we're seeing with fresh eyes, or seeing with new eyes. Instead of the, the ordinary perception that we usually have, which is often filtered through a kind of distorted perception of confusion or grasping or reactivity. Right? It's like, what, what is, what, what are we, how are we seeing clearly? Are we seeing the way things really are? Because when we see with Dharma eyes, when we see with insight, that perception shifts. We see things differently. We have insight. Dharma eyes, fresh eyes, from this perspective means that we see with insight. 
And that's why this practice is called an insight practice or insight meditation. That's what these practices are about, is cultivating and developing insight, which is this cultivation of wisdom. So these teachings are wisdom teachings. That's what it's about. It's like developing, deepening that that understanding, that knowledge of the way things really are so that we perceive our experiences differently. And that's what we've been exploring, that's what we've been talking about, is that ways of releasing the grasping, releasing the, the reactivity, releasing the dukkha, releasing the suffering, which is really what is, what is offered to us in these teachings, is it, really, is, is it really true that there is a way to be in human form, to be in this world without suffering or levels of suffering, different levels of suffering, we might say. So that when those forces of confusion and grasping uh, uh, start, to, start to lose some of their grip, start to lose some of their power, we start to see, as, as guided by these teachings, we start to see a little bit more into what's considered these three characteristics of existence. Now, these three characteristics where we see that things are not so solid, they're not so permanent, they're impermanent. Right? And we see that things are subject to dukkha, that, that things are subject to be held onto, to be grasped onto, to be clung to, right? And we can see that things are not self, they're not mine, they're not me. They don't have this independent self-existence the way that we give things. When Donald was talking a little bit about that in terms of this dependent origination, that things arise and pass dependent on different causes and conditions. Everything is dependent on everything else. So we start to see into the nature of our experience with more insight, with more wisdom. And these three characteristics as we start to know and to explore and understand a little bit more about the nature of reality, the nature of existence, these, these three become portals that we enter into and deepen our wisdom and deepen our understanding. We see more. It's not that, oh, now I see things are impermanent. Now I see things are not so solid. I not, now that I understand grasping. It's not like we come to an end point. I like, to, I like to sense into what's happening more and more as portals or doorways or entranceways, gateways, into more depth, into more understanding, more realization. Because what I've discovered so far is there doesn't seem to be any end point. It seems like this is quite an adventure that we're on. It's quite a journey that we're on. And I don't know where we're going. And I don't know if there's anywhere that we wind up. It seems like it just all keeps happening. <laughs> right? And maybe, you know, even when this body, we take our last breath and this body drops away, who knows? Maybe it all just still goes on, but in different ways. I don't know. Seems like we're on some kind of adventure here. So when we come on retreat, the conditions here really support this kind of exploration, this kind of deepening of our insight. Because in our, in our daily lives, in our ordinary lives, we're generally moving a little bit too quickly. There's too many things going on. There's, I mean, for some of us these days, there's, we've gotten pretty good at multitasking, you know, doing a lot of different things at one time and having some quality of uh, presence, of being able to attend to what's happening. But maybe not the best conditions for insight. I mean, this level of insight into the subtle, uh, the subtle dimensions of this existence, of this reality. And so we really have this, this beautiful opportunity here to, to 
to look in a way that we wouldn't be able to otherwise, primarily because of, of two conditions here on retreat. One being the silence. The silence that brings us into more of a stillness. We're not interacting so much with each other, not engaging in too many activities. We're really slowing down. So, so silence being one, the slowing down being the other condition that is so supportive for this kind of insight practice. You, you can see how important it is that we slow down. It's almost like we have to uh, really completely ch- change the channel from our usual way of being and interacting because we're looking at something so subtle. When we're talking about these three characteristics, it's so subtle to see the impermanent nature, the arising and passing of conditions moment to moment to moment, to see how that grasping, every object is subject to dukkha, to that clinging to grasping, every moment right there, that, that subtlety. We can start to see that, as Donald was talking about. We start to see how that grasping actually is arising in the mind. We see that things aren't so solid, this sense of me, who I take myself to be, this mind, this body, changing, shifting, constantly, moment to moment to moment. What, what, is there anything at all that actually remains, that lasts? We see that, we know that. So in these conditions, it really allows for our mindfulness and our concentration to develop, which are the vehicles for this exploration. It's like this, this, this mind becomes the instrument. And we really hone this instrument so that we can start to refine our perception and see in ways that we can't ordinarily see. We see this body, this mind, even this consciousness, the patterns of the mind, the patterns of the body. And here, we've mentioned a few times, we're not so interested in why things are happening. You know, that's when it tips a little bit over into the psychological dimension and, you know, understanding our patterns from more of a, of a, a psychological way. But we're actually more interested here. This practice really brings us more into, into the, uh, the satipatthana, we've been talking about the four foundations of mindfulness, which is really interested in the what is happening. What's happening? And as you know, we can ask ourselves that all day long. What's happening? What's happening? And as we see what's happening, then through that perception and through that attention, we start to get some understanding of how it's happening. It just becomes more clear. That's what Donald was speaking about. We just start to to see in the what, the thoughts and the images and the energetic movements of minds and reactivity, we start to see really clearly how the grasping happens, how the reactivity happens, how dukkha comes about. Because so often when we're in our experience in ordinary lives, we can find ourselves in difficult uh, mind states or, or emotional states or physical states, and, we, and we have, we're reacting to it. We don't even understand how it's happening. We're just in it. We just find ourselves in these states with sometimes not much understanding at all. And that's really where we develop that wisdom, we develop that understanding. So when we find ourselves in those more challenging situations, we have some way to approach it with our understanding. And we're learning all these tools and all these resources and all these practices to help us attend to our uh, our, our, our our patterns, our behaviors, our interactions, all the things that we find ourselves engaged in. So we're drawing here on the Satipatthana, the four foundations of mindfulness. That's really the, the, the teaching that 
we uh, have brought in, actually it's in the last 40 some years, as a way to guide this practice in the West. Right? So it, it's, a really, it's a really helpful uh, template for us to, to start you know, with the body and the breath, looking at what is this body? To know the body as the body, to know the breath as the breath to know the sensations in the body, just, just with, with a bare awareness, just bare attention, just a sensation arising and passing in the body. And then the second foundation of the, of the feeling tone, sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, sometimes neither pleasant or unpleasant. Just that bare attention. And then today, tonight, I'd like to talk a little bit more about this third foundation, which is the mindfulness of mind. And again, bringing this bare attention to mindfulness of mind. These first three, and there's the fourth one, which is really more around the, the how, is when we start connecting all the dots and the and we're starting to understand a little bit more what gives rise to the Dharma qualities, the qualities of our being. But in the first three of the body, the Vedana, the feeling tone, and the mind, we're really just collecting data. It's pure mindfulness. There's, it's just the what. What's happening? What do we notice? What's occurring? Before we make anything out of it before the whole proliferation of meaning and story and content and understanding and connecting all the dots. It's just the bare awareness. So I think we did in here the kind of, you know, the lifting the arm, the difference between the thought about lifting the arm and then the actual lifting the arm. The, the lifting the arm without the second time we did it, it's just the bare awareness, bare attention. Sometimes we call that, uh, the bare attention, the pre-thought moment. Right? Before the thought arises. And it's not that, you know, saying that, it, it sounds like there's no thought, but sometimes it's just a bare thought, like, oh, arm movement. Just a simple kind of knowing, which we call perception, just a perception of what is actually occurring. And, and in, the, in the, uh, Buddhist psychology, they say that in every instant, there's contact, perception, and, and feeling tone, vedana. In every instant, contact, perception, and feeling tone arising. So there's a bare kind of knowing that perception is a bare memory, the learning that we know, oh, bird, or turkey, or warm, or stars, or cool, or aching, or vibration. Just that, that's a bare awareness. And, and, and we can start to tranquilize the mind, calm the mind in such a way that we can have sustained periods of that simple knowing. Just with, before the, the, the proliferation of the thought that arises. There's this wonderful word we have in this teaching called papancha. Most of us know this word, papancha. It's a good one to have in your, uh, your dharma vocabulary box. Papancha means, I love, the, I love this particular uh, translation of it, it means to spread out. Right? And you think about that. So think about like a bare thought, well, just a thought like turkey. I've got the, well, turkey, or I could do turkey vulture. Right? The turkey vulture. So just the bare attention of seeing the turkey, the seeing, just seeing, seeing the form of the tur- turkey vulture. Pleasant, very pleasant, pleasant feeling arising on that perception of seeing. And then the proliferation, right? My whole story, I can make a whole story now about that turkey vulture. It's it's fine, 
doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's, what, it's what minds do. <laughs> it's what we do. It's, it's actually what, what this whole world has been uh, created on, is people's thoughts. Sometimes I, I like to have that thought, where when I just look around at things, and I go, oh, that was somebody's mind, oh, that was somebody's mind, oh, this was somebody's mind, this building was somebody's mind, <laughs> you know. It's like every, everything except the natural, elemental world, right? But everything else, cars and refrigerators and houses and clothes and tables, <laughs> somebody's mind. Oh, this whole world, technology, internet, devices. I, li- I like thinking about that. I don't know why. It's, there's something about the create, the creativity. It's all oh, this beautiful creativity. It's, 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 a, it's a, a good thing for the most part. It's a wholesome thing. It's what, it's what minds give expression to. And yet, does it necessarily lead to deep insight into the nature of things. And so here, we're doing something a little bit different. We're not creating things, we're not producing things, we're not developing things, although that may arise and there's, it happens plenty of times where poetry or stories or novels, you know, people will start writing novels or whatever it is, you know. Just part of what minds do. But here, we say, just put it aside put it aside because something else can happen here. We can discover something else if we start, as we start to, in a way, put the, the conceptual mind aside. Just, just very gently let it go. Let it go. That's why we ask you to put your books and your reading aside right now. It's just, that's more concepts. It's, you know, more more proliferation happens around it. Just put it aside. So we just keep clearing the space, opening up the space to see what's really possible. And so coming back into the, 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 the bare experience, the bare awareness. And it's also why the noting practice, why some of, some of us have done this noting practice quite a lot, where you just note, make a very soft five, 5%, very gentle note of a label of what's happening in our experience, just moment to moment to moment to moment, which really helps in a way to notice if the mind starts to proliferate, if the mind starts to build and make more meaning out of something. Just coming back to the, to the noting, I, I had the, I guess it was an opportunity to do that for three months, where earlier in my practice where I had a lot of energy <laughs> for practice, and so just noting every mind moment for three months <laughs> is really, really profound. So much got revealed in that. You know, the deepening the concentration and the mindfulness in doing that. So that's one way that we, we begin to practice. And, and with the concentration, mindfulness, as this starts to calm, there's more capacity for that clarity of perception and seeing of what's happening moment to moment to moment. So in the third foundation... When we see, when we're talking about just sort of collecting data or information about what's occurring, I also want to read the uh, the text, which is pretty short, and what the Buddha says in terms of contemplating the mind, the mindfulness of mind, so that you really do get a sense of how how bare the attention is on this. It doesn't. We're not making anything more out of it. So the, so the Buddha says, and how, bhikkhus or practitioners, does a, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating mind as mind? Here a practitioner understands mind, here a practitioner understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust, and mind unaffected by lust as a mind unaffected by lust. She understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate. And mind unaffected by hate as a mind unaffected by hate. 
He understands mind affected by delusion as a mind affected by delusion. And mind unaffected by delusion as mind unaffected by delusion. Just seeing what is. She understands contracted mind as contracted mind and distracted mind as distracted mind. Just, just noting distracted mind, distracted mind, not making anything more out of it. It's not bad, it's not good, it's not wrong, it's not right. It's just what it is. She understands exalted mind as exalted mind and unexalted mind as unexalted mind. He understands concentrated mind as concentrated mind and unconcentrated mind as unconcentrated mind. She understands liberated mind as liberated mind and unliberated mind as unliberated mind. I really love that. I remember the first time I I read it and it was just so simple. Just because, you know, often we have so much judgment and expectation and, you know, hopes and fears and, you know, about our practice. But, you know, when we're practicing in this way, it's just what it is. The mind is just the mind. It's like the thought is just a thought. The thought of your mother is not your mother, it's just a thought. So simple. And there was a, a little, um, there was a little note from the Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, Nanamoli translation, where it said that for liberated mind, it refers to a temporary or partly freed mind, <laughs> uh, freed of the defilements uh, uh, through insight or deep concentration states. And I, I love that, that 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 little note because he's pointing out that the satipatthana is a practice. And so we're practicing before we've reached Buddhahood, right? Once we reach Buddhahood, then liberated mind is all there is, right? So I love that little caveat there because for us, we too can be mindful of liberated mind. It's not something that happens, you know, in the future. It's now. When the mind is free, the mind is free. When the mind is free of, of, of greed and hatred and confusion, the mind is filled with clarity and brightness and clear, clear perception, non-clinging, metta. That's free. The mind is free. The mind is liberated. That can be recognized. That can be known. But known in a way that we don't start saying, oh, wow, now I've really gotten somewhere in my practice. This is what I've been waiting for. And... And then when it passes, oh no, now what I'm back to, right? Why am I even doing this? You know, the doubt comes. Papancha, right? So we just see it for what it is. So we need to practice, you know. Satipatthana practices for those of us who are not yet Buddhas who are not yet fully awake. You know, we still do have some defilements in the mind. And we find that we're not in bare awareness all the time. In that liberated mind, we see things are impermanent. We see things are subject to clinging. We see things are not mine, not me. Yeah, that's the liberated mind in that moment. But we have the habit, we have the tendency to to cling and to get identified with our minds, to get identified with our bodily experiences. And we get caught. We get caught in these proliferations. We we climb in, this is my, my, my sense of it, is I climb into my stories. I, I, I'm in it. <laughs> I'm in it. And I, and I feel like I'm in the house, right? You know, and there's a, a, sometimes a sense of being trapped, you know. And it's, it's, it all seems so real. It is the way, it is reality. It is the way things are. I mean, right? It just really seems true. Like when I, I have pain, I need to get rid of this pain. I don't like it. 
It seems so real, so true. I mean, even when I say it, it's like, of course, doesn't it? It's, it's just more, it's more proliferation on the unpleasant sensation. Right? Or, you know, I have to, I have this plan arising in my mind and I know that I'm not supposed to make contact with anybody uh, outside of the retreat, but I have to call this person and make sure that they set this thing up for me. It, it seems real, <laughs> like like it's sort of sometimes it feels sort of like life and death. Like if I don't do that, the, you know, the world's going to fall apart somehow. But it's just more thought. You know, it's a story that's arising in the mind. And so it's not to say anything's wrong with the stories, it's just that maybe we need to pause, feel into our experience a little bit more and see, is it, is it so necessary? Sometimes it is, you know, so we don't make anything absolute here, you know, but, but sometimes it's like rushing too, going a little too fast, not looking closely enough to see what's really needed in that moment, you know. So maybe just for, for a moment, just take, take a, a second right now and just kind of think about your day-to-day See if there was anywhere that that kind of what I call stickiness. You kind of climbed into your story. And it felt so real and so important. And maybe there, there was a, a, mo- a time not so long after where you go, oh yeah, wow, I got really caught up in that one. And you saw that it was impermanent. See if there's anything that comes to mind. Maybe we have a sense of that slippery slope. You know, a thought arises and then another thought and then another thought and we're kind of on the train and we're going off to the destination and we're in it, we're on it. And then there's a moment, maybe, you know, we kind of wake up from it. Oh, it's like a dream. It's like waking up from a dream sometimes. Wow, where was I? Wow. And we're back. I really feel like we're back here. And oftentimes, you know, the story, when we get into the stories, it, we, can, it, we kind of scare ourselves. Sometimes they're scary stories, you know. And I, I, this is something I recognize a lot with myself. It's like I, I see how I keep scaring myself about, you know, how I make things up and then I get really scared of what my mind is telling me. You know, I did that a little bit t- tonight, um, around this, preparing this talk, because as I was preparing the talk, I was quite sure that I hardly had anything to say, and that I, it would be very short, and you would be so disappointed in me, and, you know, if you had to go out and start walking, like, you know, for an hour or something. (laughs) And... And, and I just noticed how I really started to believe that, you know, this is such a short talk. And, that, and now it's like, now I have to kind of rush through it. <laughs> I have so much that I want to tell you <laughs> and share with you, you know, now. It's like, how did that happen? It's like time is completely distorted. I was, I was, it was, I was so sure of it, and I could notice how then I just started getting really, you know, agitated, feeling, you starting to imagine your disappointment and your, your projection on me, and how you, you'd be upset with me. <laughs> you know, I just see that, I just see it playing, and then you know, then there's like, it's okay, you know, because we get so emotionally invested as if it really matters, like in this case, you know, like somehow it would really matter if, my, if I gave a shorter talk tonight. <laughs> you know, and so that, that investment, and it all, it just takes on such a charge. 
I have one of my favorite um, little s- stories that I, t- I tell on every retreat about this, um, this ancient story where this, this caveman who was uh, painting uh, images on, on the wall of a cave and um, he's a beautifully artistic painting and so he's in the cave and he's you know, painting a tiger and he gets to the end and he's painting the, the tail, the, the hairs of the, on the, on the uh, tail of the tiger. And then he steps back to look at it and he goes, Oh my God, a tiger! And he runs out of the cave. <laughs> and I love that because for, that's, for me that's it. You know? I just do, we're doing that, doing it all day long. <laughs> There's painting on the wall, on the, on the screen of consciousness. You know, and sometimes, as I said, sometimes it's beautiful. And beautiful things happen because of that. But so often, you know, there's, there's, there's fear. We scare ourselves. I do. You know, I see it a lot. Because without wise attention, these stories seem to take on such a reality. And our perception gets distorted. We just don't see clearly. We don't see with wise view. The Buddha talks about wise view, the first, um, of the first factor on the Eightfold Noble Path. Wise view. Samaditi. Samaditi. Sama means wise, or it means um, something that brings clarity to the mind. Yeah, Sama brings clarity to the mind, sometimes it's beautiful or fulfilled or complete. So samaditi, view. Ditti is view. It's, the, it's it, it, what encompasses one's view or vision. The perception we take on something, the way we, we perceive. Ditti, the view, the vision. So samaditi. Wise view. Wise view means that we have insight. Insight into our view. Right. So I, I had a samaditi after I went through my little proliferation, my papancha. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, right. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It's okay. It's okay, whatever happens. It's not mine anyhow. It's just this, you know, causes and conditions. One of my favorite quotes of the Buddha um, is like this. The Buddha says, when one doesn't see impermanence, consciousness gets stuck to its object like flies to a ball of sugar. And if you've been to India... You know, a lot of the, 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 there's the, the, the stands of uh, the, the honey balls that are just there. Sometimes they're not covered over. You know, flies just flock to the honey balls and the sugar balls and all of that. And it's just like that. When one doesn't see the impermanent nature, consciousness, consciousness gets stuck to its object. Sticks to it. Sticky. And we can't see with insight. We don't see it as it actually is. We don't see the empty nature, the fleeting nature, the insubstantial nature of thought. Because when we see it, we see thoughts come and go. I mean, they just, they're just, they, they're there for an instant. Just proliferating like leaves falling off a tree, you know, in autumn. Just leaves falling, it's just, Thoughts and images coming and going. Emotions, thoughts and emotions. Emotions are also part of the third foundation because of the inner relationship between the thoughts and the, and the emotions. What we think, we feel, and what we feel, we think. Emotions, it's said, some of you are, have heard this, but they said the, the research that's all being done these days that the, the, the lifespan of an emotion is 90 seconds. <laughs> just take that in for a moment. <laughs> yeah. just the, so it's more like, it's more like waves. 
right? Our experience, we might start to feel or sense our experience more like waving, waving like thoughts and images and sensations and sounds and sights and tastes and smells and it's coming and going, this waving of our experience. Otherwise, without that clear perception, it seems sticky, right? Sticky like Velcro. We've mentioned Velcro, like Velcro mind. Everything sticks. One of my teachers says that Velcro mind is not a state of realization. (laughs) If we're interested in realization. (laughs) When we get identified, then the stickiness is identified, we get identified to what's happening, identified with the object as me or mine or what's real, or we take it to be solid. Identification is an image or an impression or a representation we use to define our sense of who we are and our sense of the world, our sense of reality. Right? It is how we make sense of things, it is how we make meaning of things, but we we, we believe that's the only way it is. So it gets very narrow, it gets very fixed. Very, our views and opinions and ideas get very solidified. And this is, we see this in the world. It gives rise to so much pain, so much suffering, so much violence, so much hate. Really, really so painful when we see what this gives rise to. And in one moment, if we see it, it brings in, it's happened for, that happened for me this evening, that, that's that compassion. It's a compassionate response to my own uh, ignorance, my own confusion. Like, oh, look how I got so caught up in that. And then seeing it in that moment, my heart just opens to myself in this case, and to the conditions, our, our human condition. What we do to ourselves and what we do to each other because we take all of this to be so real and so solid. Not that these are stories are bad or they're wrong or they shouldn't happen. They, they, we, it's not that we can even stop all of this from happening. We're talking about our perception. The way that we're actually perceiving this condition, our human condition. These stories do not need to define us. It's not who I am. I am so much more than that. You are. My perception of you, if I, if I narrow my view and perception of you and think that's who you are, that's going to cause a lot of problems not who you are. So much more than that. And yet we use these ways of characterizing ourselves. We, I am, and then we fill in the blank. I'm a sick person. I'm an angry person. I'm an old person. Suffering person. Poor. Or I'm an enlightened person. Wow. That causes a lot of suffering too. (laughs) You know, I'm enlightened, and we see, you know, the, the consequences of that when people start to proclaim that, too. I'm free, you know. Whatever that, whatever we're filling, our, filling the blank in. When, when I was uh, doing my early retreats, I remember there was a guy house in England doing quite a lot of retreat there, and I remember in this one room there was a mirror on the wall, and I would look in the mirror, and it was me. And I didn't like what was seen in the mirror, right? And then there was all the papancha about, you know, what I was seeing in the mirror, that's me, that's my body, and, you know, I look like this. And there was a point at which, uh, in, all, in, the, in all my wisdom, I put a cover over the mirror. <laughs> I didn't need contact with that image, so it kept, you know, proliferating all this, you know, negativity and judgment and suffering, right? Just stop it. Oren was talking about that. Avoid, abandon. We don't need to, you know, cultivate (laughs) 
these negative uh, mind states if we can help ourselves through that contact, right? Contact, perception, Vedana, feeling tone, right? Contact with the image in the mirror, perception of me, <laughs> and then the feeling tone, unpleasant, right? Stop it. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, it's great when we start to, to break this down. What I think is what I become. And that certainly narrows the field, starts to make things pretty small. I, even the first stanzas, the stanzas of the Dhammapada when the Buddha says, we are what we think. All that we are arises with our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. We are what we think. All that we are arises from our thoughts. With our thoughts, we make the world. And so in that particular teaching, the Buddha, that's when the Buddha says, so watch the thoughts with care. Watch the thoughts with care. So now I have another page of my uh, talk that I can't even give you tonight because I've got to... (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) So we might start to get a feel for how this when we climb into those storylines and sometimes they're not so uh, happy you know or or uh, they can be quite painful when we think thoughts about ourselves or thoughts about other people or about the conditions of things that it actually starts to we can feel more dense right? we f- can feel more solid like our head our mind gets a little more contracted or tight our, our body comes into more density we even start to feel maybe a little more pain you know, and tightening and contraction, some of the stress that starts to come from that. It's like we actually become someone that's moving in space and time and we really believe that and everything becomes very dualistic and separate and mechanistic and, you know, it's clunky. Things become very clunky and kind of gross at that level, you know. But as this perception starts to shift... We actually, and I know you've had this experience where we start to feel like some of that that density or that that heaviness of our of our mind or body starts to lighten up. We actually can feel lighter in our body, almost like like things are starting to become less solid, a little bit more transparent, more fluid, more flexible even if there is still some, uh, some contracted mind states like fear or discomfort or some, even some uh, uh, patterns of negativity, even that, when it's seen, there's more space. It's almost like there's a, we start to feel the, the spacious quality, the, the spaciousness in our mind, the spaciousness starts to filter more in our body. It becomes more tangible. It's not just a a way of articulating or talking about it, we can actually feel it energetically. And then, in a way, things start to become a little bit more elemental. Heather was speaking about that, the elemental aspect where it's air and fire and water and earth. Right? Not, so, not so much me as a, a person, mind and body and personality and where it all feels very clunky, but this kind of more elemental connection with other elements, right? Where there's elements of air and fire and water, the sun and the, and the, and the, and the air and the, the wind and the, the earth and the water and more and more of this sense of like that sense of separation and that uh, 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 separation is not so uh, real anymore. 
And I, you may have had experiences like that. And those two, they, they too come and they go. They, they are also impermanent. Right? So we don't, don't cling on. We don't get identified or you know, attached to those experiences either. You know, see, that too, impermanent, three characteristics. Subject to dukkha, if there's clinging or grasping. I see that I don't have to take possession. I don't have to take ownership of these temporary experiences that come and go. If I brought that... Yeah, just so, you know, I was just thinking sometimes we we can, you know, kind of be, we can do this all on our own, you know, we can have this kind of insight into the way things are when we're, when we're by ourselves and things kind of arise and pass in this way. But other times we do need some, somebody to help us, you know, to kind of hold our hand or to guide us along the way and remind us, you know. And I, um, there's this sweet little uh Pooh and Piglet, um, little short story I like a lot. And um, Pooh is walking along with Piglet, and um, Piglet says to Pooh, he says, "Supposing a tree fell down, Pooh, when we were standing underneath it." And Pooh says, "Supposing it didn't." <laughs> and after after careful thought. Piglet was comforted by this. <laughs> so, you know, these Dharma talks are kind of like that. <laughs> We're just uh, comforting each other so that, you know, we start to see things the way they really are. Because as we, as we do, we can let go. We'll let go of those contracted states of mind that cause us so much pain and suffering. Let go, open up, and feel more of the, the lightness, the ease that's possible for us in our, in our humanity. So let's uh, just sit quietly for a moment or two. May all beings awaken into wisdom. May all beings awaken their compassionate heart. May all beings be liberated from their pain and be free of suffering. Thank you. So um, I have a, I have just this little hunch. You may be a little bit more aware of the proliferating thoughts as you walk out this evening. So <laughs> enjoy your practice. Thank you.